take our Bibles now. Let's turn in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers 32, we're going to start in verse 20, as Nick has kindly put on the screen for us. Numbers 32, 20. And uh, I invite you to stand together for the reading of God's Word. Follow in your Bibles or follow on the screen. Numbers 32, 20 through 23, read in unison. And Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord, until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out." Father, we just thank you for the incredible genius and precision of the Holy Spirit words in this book. And we pray now, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would break this bread of life to us, apply it to our hearts and minds, God, so that we may worship you aright, glorify you, and be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And the particular verse there, of course, is Numbers 32, 23. So, one title of this sermon might be A Palindromic Verse for a Palindromic Week. Did you know that this was a palindromic week this week? So a palindrome is something that reads the same backwards as it does forwards, like ABBA, right? So this week is like, what is today? The, what's the date today? 15th, so it's 9 one five one nine. So it's the same forwards as it is backwards, and it's like that most all this week. And this text is the same forwards as it is backwards. It's Numbers 32, 23. Be sure that your sin will find you out. It's a palindromic verse for a palindromic week. Now that title is a little bit irrelevant to the content of what I'm going to speak about. How about this title? <laughs> Harmatology Part Two. <laughs> that makes it about <laughs> as ununderstandable as the previous title. 
Harmartiology is the ology of sin. Theology is the study or the understanding of God. Eschatology is the study of end times. Um, har this is a mouthful. Hamartiology is the study of sin. There's a lot of, uh, whoo, that's a big area, isn't it? Sin. And the reason why I would call it part two is because we already had part one, didn't we, Emily? We had Harmer Theology part one, uh, given to us by theologian Emily Robbins the other Sunday night. And if you weren't here, and I wish you had been here, because it was very powerful and impactful, but if you weren't here, I'll, I'll recap on that for you, that basically Emily shared her journey of how God has been changing her. And there were changes, and then for a while, certain areas that didn't change. And then there would be another step forward and a change, but yet at the same time there was things that hadn't changed, right? And uh, so we have this kind of, yeah, this, hmm, God's interesting, the way he dispenses his salvation to us. Um, but that ultimately, in Emily's presentation, she spoke about how she was bound in sin. And when she tried to work hard to get free from that sin, she only seemed to get worse. Until finally, she saw Jesus. And the word that was given to her is, was, it's all got to go. All of it. You're not going to get free unless all of it goes. And she talked about pride and drawing lines in the sand and so on and so forth. If you haven't listened to that testimony, you can watch it on YouTube. Or if you ask Emily, she may be able to send you a transcript of it. But um, it, it really explored the nature of sin and the kind of how it all mingles together and is this kind of web and bit, the grace of God and Jesus Christ as we look to him and believe in him to break free and be set free from sin, right? So that's kind of rough summary of what she's shared. So that was a kind of harmer theology part one. This would be part two um, that I present to you today. So in our verse, Moses gave Israel a warning. That if they did not do a certain thing, it would be sinful. And he, and he says to them, and be sure your sin will find you out. Quite a lot of insight just in those few words about the nature of sin. Just to acknowledge the context here. Um, what Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, something like that. You know, they'd all come up the... Um, the east side of Jordan, in their approach to cross the Jordan north of the, uh, north of the Dead Sea and come into the Promised Land. But uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said, no, we like it over here. Um, can't we just, we've got, this is good grazing land and we've got cattle, so why don't you just, just let us stay here. Now, it so interests me, just as a side note, that that, even though I don't believe that was God's will, because he wanted them all to go into the promised land, 
And they're like, no, we're quite happy over here. I don't even believe that that is what Moses is alluding to when he says to them, your sin will find you out. He's talking about the fact that they, that they, were, they were making a vow and a pact and a covenant with him now. And he was like, okay, you can go ahead and do that. If that's where your faith's at, go ahead and do that, even though it's not God's will. But just promise that you'll come over and fight with us to get the promised land. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. And that's when he says, well, okay, well, be sure you do that or your sin will find you out. In other words, in this particular instance and context, the sin being referred to would be a sin of covenant breaking and um, breaking community. It was, it was a corporate sin because of the effect of their choice would have on their brothers because they would discourage their brothers by holding back and not going with them together and, um, and have that effect on them. So my point there is that even that right there, oh, so what? They're just kind of like discouraged, some, discouraged the rest of their nation, their corporate group, if they're like. Their actions were going to have a negative impact on the corporate group, even though they had liberty to do so. Kind of like when Paul says, yeah, I can eat all the meat I want, but if my meat eating causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Okay? And he said, if I, if I did do something to make my brother stumble, it would be S-I-N, sin. In other words, one of my first introductory points right off the bat is that this book calls a lot more things sin than what we call sin today. And it's kind of human, I get that, I mean, I'm the same, you know, we like to use all the euphemisms in the book, like mistake or weakness, uh, um, not, uh, uh, lack of wisdom, challenge, struggling with, hey, it's sin, that's it. Amen. Uh, the good news is that Jesus Christ came to save us from sin. Yes. Actually, it says somewhere that the that faith in the God who justifies who? Sin. The wicked. <laughs> Would make you right with God. You got to be wicked to start with, right? <laughs> if you're not wicked, there's no gospel for you. So the Bible is really good like that. It calls a bunch of stuff sin. Now I'm not sure we call sin anymore. Or we don't want to use that word. But if you do use that word, it's kind of humbling. But it's the start of the gospel. Hallelujah. So that's what was the context here. It was just referring to this kind of corporate affair and a breaking of their oath. And that was the sin that drew this serious warning. If you don't do this, be sure that your sin will find you out. So... Yeah, I think the Holy Spirit calls a lot more things sin. I've found in the Word of God, maybe like the highest definition of sin in the Word of God is in Romans 3.23, where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And um, that's a tough verse for me. I've really pondered that verse. I'm not sure exactly where the word and is... Uh, that's a tricky word in the interpretation of that word right there, the word and. Because what is the word and saying? Is it saying in addition to or is it saying equivocal with? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know how, is it saying all have sinned and 
come short of the glory of God is the same as sin. Is it saying that? Yeah. Or is it saying all have sinned and in addition to sinning, we've come short of the glory of God? They would make a good paper for someone. Because <laughs> you, might, you might want to hold back on that. <laughs> um, it, the word of God does say that there's different, different um, realms of glory. There's the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon. There's the celestial, terrestrial glory, all that good stuff, you know. So um, how could a human ever, ever uh, meet up to the glory of Almighty God anyway? And I think there's a validity in that. At the same time, I still believe that one of the greatest benchmarks of sin is uh, the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If this behavior is not the behavior that it would be in the presence of Almighty God, we could have a little clue there about whether it's sin or not, you know. Um, Jesus, you could say we uh, all have sinned and fall short or come short of the glory of God. Well, well, Jesus was God, right? And he was human. So there would be a glory that uh, Christologically, uh, um, anthropologically, anthropologically speaking, depending on how you divide the human and divine, that we could kind of uh, probably not fall short of by God's grace. But who wants to run against that? Who wants to be set against that benchmark? <coughs> Maybe the grace of God and the power of God wants us to shoot for that. God's got great faith. <laughs> great faith. So I'm still on this opening remark right here. Yeah, the, the Spirit of God seems to call a lot more sin than certainly not only what the lost would, but even the church would, all of us in our humanity, I'd, I'd admit to the little bit of the same at times. So, if you want to go with that statement, let's, let's, let's go with this for a second, uh, regarding all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Where's the dividing line in that? Um, you know, we can come along in our kind of Wesleyan, Armenian kind of holiness kind of mindset, you know, and uh, we can look over here and judge certain people and kind of look over here at these Baptists and their statement of faith and they kind of going on about how everybody sins every day and, and thought, word, and deed. And you think to yourself, well, you guys are just a bunch of uh, kind of, uh, I don't know what, what it would be, you know, you're kind of like liberal, you kind of got this kind of low view of the power of God to save us from sin and... Uh, you know, I'm Wesleyan holiness, kind of uh, all that good stuff. And I don't sin in thought, word, and deed every day. I'm at Jesus saved me from sin. Uh, I do make a few mistakes, though. It's like, come on, people. Surely our experience of the power of God goes beyond semantics. Surely our experience of the power of God has got to go beyond just the dividing lines in our definitions. Like, if you want to judge someone else or point fingers at someone else, why don't we check and make sure that there really is more of the glory of God in our lives than the other person whose statement of faith we're kind of like, you know, sneering at and turning up our nose at. And if there is more of the power of God in our lives, then there's probably a lot more humility in our lives too. And we'll probably know it's a lot more of a miracle of God too. And we probably won't be judging them anyway. 
So, that's the bottom line, not our statement of faith or what we claim to believe or what background we claim to come from, but how like God are we, really? How much joy is there in our lives? You want to talk about holiness? There, there's a standard right there. That challenges me. That convicts me. I'll tell you that right now. How much joy is there in our lives? Because you know what? Most every day, we're all going to have to suffer in some way, shape, or form. I mean, it's easy to have joy when it's joyful, right? We all got that one down pat. So here's a good benchmark. How about the other half? Is that half filled with joy too? There's, there's some power right there. There's holiness right there. There's a lack of sin right there, what we're talking about today. How much joy is there in our lives? How unselfish are, are we? You know, we're all stirred up about what we've been reading in Andrew Murray about faith. Hallelujah. God's going to answer our prayers. Absolutely. I'm so glad we're stirred and encouraged by that. But if you want to see miracles, how about trusting for the miracle daily of being able to walk through that situation that trips me up every day without sin. Talk about raising the dead and healing the sick. How about clinging to the cross at that impossible moment of a day and finding that, whoa, God, that was you. That was a miracle. I know there's no way I would have made it through that unscathed. But faith says there's a way. So when we come to a text like this, you know, um, we actually passed it on US 31 on the way home yesterday. Did you see it? Be sure your sin will find you out. You want to look at the billboard like that and say, hey man, preach it. There's a whole bunch of lost people that really need that. <laughs> but the eternal laws of the universe apply to every single person without respect of persons. If that applies to the sinner that doesn't know God yet, be sure that your sin will find you out. It applies to me too and every single one of us in this room. So before we look at that and kind of switch off, kind of don't really need that, I for one need to think again. I don't know about you. Um, <clears throat> most likely you are a lot more spiritual than me. And I don't say that jokingly. But I think if we have a revelation of our own sin, it's not really too hard to believe that about everyone else in the world. Because when we see our own sin, it's got to be more wretched than anybody else's. Isn't that how Paul could say, of whom I am chief? Paul, how could you say that? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief because he had a revelation that's how this one brother that we respected, uh, Lauren Helm, called himself like weak and needy. And you're like. So. So. As we consider this here, what it says, our sin, find her out. Maybe some of these sins I'll list. Maybe you don't. Maybe, they, maybe you don't have an issue with it like I do. Um, on the other hand, maybe, maybe you commit some of the same sins as me to a greater or lesser degree. 
in different areas, like selfishness, like pride, like impatience, like anger, like self-reliance, like prayerlessness, like unbelief, the sin of unbelief, that little sin that shot Israel out of the promised land for a whole generation. Unbelief. Simply that there's an area in our life or something that God's called us to that there's no way we're going to step forward in it except by faith in one day, two days, one month, two months, three years, 10, 20, 30 years ago, we said it's not possible. The sin of unbelief. Gluttony. That's not preached on a lot today. Because <laughs> preachers don't like to do things that they preach against things that they do, right? We're all human. It's lack of self-control. When he says we've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control, isn't it sad? Doesn't it reflective of such of a low view of God and the spirit of God that we would regard self-control as a negative, boring thing? Self-control has got to be phenomenally exciting. Because the opposite of that, self out of control is misery. Holiness is happiness. Don't let the devil lie to you with anything other than that. I'm just going through just a brief list here. And this particular list that I present to you, notice I'm not mentioning um, some of the things, you know, the classic things, because, no, we need to talk about the socially acceptable sins, the hidden sins of the church that we can have in our lives, we can walk in this door every week, we can put on a smile and a nice shirt, and nobody would know, because we're all nice. It's the acceptable sins that we need to, that I need to check my heart for, judgmentalism. Totally invisible, isn't it, in some respects? In some respects it's invisible, but in other respects it's not. <clears throat> So if you do commit any of these sins, then like me, maybe this sermon is for you after all. But, more specifically, what does it say? Be sure your sin will find you out. This verse tucked away in the Old Testament teaches us much about the nature of sin. First of all, the words be sure. Be sure. Isn't that just so indicative of what we're dealing with when we're dealing with sin? Somehow we doubt that our sins will ever affect our lives. Now, if it was a big sin, we could see how that's ruining, how those big sins ruin people's lives. You know, we talk about the people with addiction problems or this or that. Oh, those huge sins are ruining their lives and other people's lives. But our sins are, that we've judged to be little, we know they're under the blood, and they are. We know they're cast in the sea of God's forgetfulness when we repent and we say sorry and the guilt's gone, and they are. I'm all for all those things. But still, the words of the Holy Spirit, be sure 
because we're so unsure. We struggle to believe that these sins are affecting our lives right now and the lives of our loved ones and our church, whether it's in me or you. Uh, I love what Emily brought out. I mean, maybe, maybe we think that um, we're not sure when this or that will end in our lives, this grieving God. Maybe we think we're going to fix it on our own one day, like Emily said. Or, or maybe um, somehow the effect that it's having on ourselves or the world around about us, our family, whatever, will um, go, continue to go unnoticed. But the Holy Spirit says, no, be sure that there is a law of cause and effect. Even if so-called science or sociology can't prove it, but there is an effect of pride. There is an effect of bitterness. Okay, that's a more obvious one, you know. There is an effect of prayerlessness. There is an effect of unbelief. There, the, all these things, be sure, the Spirit of God says. The Spirit of God knows our constitution. You're not getting it. You don't believe me, do you? Be sure. It will find you out. <clears throat> Some somehow, and here it is, those words, be sure, it just pours into us and it, it just uh, brings up all these connotations of how sin, and this is the nature of sin, is so difficult for us to perceive our own sin. Okay, even if we logically know it's there, okay, to perceive the extent of it, the frequency of it, how it's affecting ourselves and others, it's so difficult to perceive. We can see the sins of others pretty clearly, can't we? Because we are outside the situation looking in. But this mystery of being a being, a center of consciousness within ourselves, trying to perceive ourselves, it's so difficult for us to perceive our own sin. It's like a mirage. Unless we have a Nathan and David moment. You know what I'm talking about? You are that man. Have you ever um, <clears throat> just like been shocked at one of those moments in, in public where, when somebody else acts in some certain way and something, you're like, whoa, you know? And God's like, that's you. Hey, and maybe, it may not even be to the same degree, but basically the spirit of it, the Holy Spirit's like, that's you. That's you right there. That's a, that's a Nathan and David moment. You are that man. Even if we've had our Nathan and David moment, we still struggle to see it. And even if we see it, we make resolutions that night. Yeah, yeah, that's right, God, I'm so convicted. I'm going to change. And, uh, but the next day, it's not a priority anymore. It's not the emergency that sin really is. Like a, see, if we saw sin as it really was, it would be an emergency. That's why the Spirit of God saying, be sure. And this is all just as our humanity is so, this is the challenge of seeing sin as it really is. Um, 
even if we acknowledge it and that we, we know we've got an issue that we need to deal with, that's kind of on our list of things we're trusting God to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ, it's not the emergency that it really should be in our life, like a fire alarm going off in the middle of the night. You're not like, oh, I'll get that in the morning. No, you're up. You're out of bed. No, that is the priority and nothing goes on until that's dealt with because there might not be a morning to get up to if that fire alarm's correct. And even if it's not, the noise is bugging you so much it's got to be dealt with. <coughs> like the fire alarm going off in the middle of the night, sin deserves to be dealt with now. Get out of bed. Don't go back to sleep. <clears throat> would to God that he would give each of us, myself included, a fire alarm urgency with dealing with the sin in our lives. Because if we saw it as it really was, I think that's half the battle right there. I believe there's grace for God to, from God to overcome that's not an issue in my mind. The issue is seeing it and the extent that it really is. Um, I believe that if we set our heart and our minds to it and have a little faith in God, that each and every one of us really can overcome our besetting sins. Um, but the nature of sin is that it's like a mirage you only see in a certain light for a fleeting moment and then it's forgotten again. Like that man in the mirror who immediately forgets what he looks like. God help us. It says, be sure, don't doubt it. Be so sure that you flee it and find the solution in a closer walk with Jesus. And then secondly, this verse says that your sin will find you out. What does that mean? Point number two, find you out. I'm just going to do this point number two and then um, tell you my conclusion from these, these thoughts. <clears throat> you ever notice how people are really stirred up about the promises of God and they love to claim the promises of God? The positive ones? Don't you think God gave us the negative promises for a valid reason too? Like we have a promise of God here that our sin will find, you know, you know walk into prayer and me and, hey man, I'm claiming that, that my sin will find me out. I'm looking for a God. I'm believing you. You told me my sin would find me out. These, these negative promises are there to, to spur us on as well. To, to jolt us out of the status quo. Um, but what does that mean? Your sin will find you out. Does it mean that other people will find out about it? Not necessarily. I mean, we know that some people who uh, walk in hidden sin, um, yeah, it does kind of blow up in their face and people find out about it. But you know what? A lot of people that walk in hidden sin, and it may not be the kind of, oh man, hidden sin, you know, you've been in an adulterous affair. No, it doesn't even need to be that. I'm just talking about like who we really are behind closed doors, right, with our family. Um, your sin will find you out. Does that mean that other people will find out about it? No, I don't even 
necessarily believe that it means that. You know, I think a lot of people take hidden sin to the grave. Nobody ever finds out about it. It's not even mentioned at the funeral. Of course, you're not going to do that, you know. It's not what they do at funerals. So much of the sin yet, un, yet unconquered in our lives. And I like that phrase, yet unconquered. I like the phrase uh, when we talk about our friends that we pray for, that they just, they just don't know Jesus yet. And in some of our lives, there's sin that is not yet conquered. But the grace of God is there and he's calling us to. It just hasn't happened yet. But so much of the yet unconquered sin in our lives is only revealed in the choice moments of life behind closed doors. It seems so easy for us as adults um, to put on enough of a front to make a good impression. But behind closed doors, the anointing is not there. The joy is not there. The beauty and the radiance is not there. I think those have got to be the goals because that's what God's like. He's radiant. He's beautiful. And when I fall short of that, I think this is not beautiful. This is not, this is not what God has for me. Um, so what does it mean then? If it doesn't even necessarily mean that another human being will find out about it because, and there's the link right there, right? And Emily brought that out so well. Um, that, that's why it's a stronghold. Because nobody else knows about it. As soon as other people know about it, there's grace right there flowing into our lives. Right, Emily? There's grace flowing into our lives. Um, so if it doesn't necessarily mean that other people will even know about it, what does it mean to say that our, our sin will find us out? I believe that it means that the consequences of sin are utterly inescapable. And there will come a day in our lives Sooner or later, some of us have experienced it already. When we suffer from those consequences and we will want to say, and this is the flesh again, this is getting back to that word, be sure. We will want to say and we will fight to say and we'll, we will even pretend to believe that we don't know why this is happening to us. But the Spirit of God will whisper to us, in an uncondemning, matter-of-fact way. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about... See what this is about here? It's not about the judgment of God at all. It's about the law of cause and effect. You know, there are two totally different things. When the judgment of God comes... No. Run and take cover. We're just talking about the law of cause and effect right now. Um... the Spirit of God will whisper to us in an uncondemning matter-of-fact way, it's because you have never dealt with this sin. That's what it is. Nobody else may ever know the reason why such and such a thing happened in your life. And in many instances, there can be legitimate reasons. There can be good cover-ups that may be legitimate for other people in other circumstances. But you know in your heart, it's not legitimate for you. And there is a true reason for why this happened to you. It was sin. Sin.
simply the inescapable and unbreakable law of cause and effect in the universe. And here it is in the New Testament, Galatians 6, 7 and 8. This is the New Testament equivalent of uh, Numbers 32:23. Be sure, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This is not simply a verse pertaining to those who accept or reject Jesus Christ or the walk of the Spirit, but inescapable law for all of us. Every time we plant a flesh seed, at some point later and to some extent we reap a flesh weed, right? Every time we plant a spirit seed, at some time and at some extent we will reap a spirit harvest, so in other words, right now, every, each and every one of our lives consists of a mixture of flesh harvest and spirit harvest from yesterday, last week, last month, and the last 10 years of our lives. That's what the current picture is. So the good news is, as we perceive that, we're able to flee from sin into the arms of Jesus, drawing close to the Spirit of God daily and momentarily, believing Him, having faith in the power of His redemption and deliverance from sin, thereby seeing sin deliverance miracles in our lives. And if we could sow a little less or not at all to the flesh, what kind of daily spirit harvest would we be walking in? after a few hours, days, years, or decades. It'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? So the conclusion is simply this. Um, we need to call sin, sin in our lives and not be deceived. Or let's put it this way, to be deceived to as small an extent as possible. But we also need to believe God. That as we confess our sin, as we believe in the work of the cross, as we let him teach us how to cleave to his presence, he will lead us to conquer our besetting sins one by one. And someone says, Pastor Nicky, don't tell me you believe in sinless perfection. I don't really care about that because I've still got more than two of my own once I get to the last one, I'll figure out if there's sinless perception, sinless uh, perfection, and you can ask me about it then, okay? Thank you for listening.